Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling smiley. Yeah, that's, yes. that's a change. I'm going to be miserable. Is. It's yeah. a drastic shift because today's <laughs> guest makes the most uh, powerful, inspiring and joyous work. And you will often find it on the streets of London town, but also further afield all over the world, I imagine. But um, his work often has uh, a very smiley face within it as part of it. It's not only that, but there is often this very smiley face, which gave me a smile and uh made me think you know you've got to keep your chin up and stay happy and uh today we are presenting this episode with the wonderful Stella Artois and also their Stella Artois unfiltered range which um is an incredible uh, unfiltered beer because they have the most extraordinary campaign at the moment called the pub renaissance which we are going to explore today's guest the extraordinary artist is part of this campaign and um it's a really exciting project to kind of help pubs stay alive stay open and stay vital to all of our local communities i love going to my pubs in margate russ where's your oh yeah we go we went to your local pub the other week with pedro didn't we we did yeah pubs pub culture for me is uh the epicenter of socializing for me that's i'd rather sit down a pub with my mates than go to some fancy posh party somewhere or have a nice meal i love the pub so to discover that many pubs are closing because of uh rising prices and less people going out, being able to afford to go to the pub. This initiative that Stella set up is incredibly important. And today's artist is someone who is very involved in that and believes in pub culture as well as being uh, the epicenter of of what it is to be, you know, to be part of society in the UK. Yeah. Well, we would like to welcome to Talk Art, the one and only Riker. How you doing, guys? Hello, Russell. Hello, Robert. Hi, um, mate. Yeah, I thought you was going to call me a piss artist for a second, <laughs> but you didn't. So. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're all good. And <laughs> yeah, here I am. And um, we're talking about something that uh, I've been involved in, brought up in, spent a lot of childhood and adult life in, pubs. Yeah, so I heard that you've actually um, made pub signs before your incredibly successful um, artistic career. You were actually sort of doing that amazing tradition of the pub sign, which is something I've grown up always being obsessed by. I remember like as a kid, constantly talking about the signs of different pubs and what, what they signified, because pub signs, depending on the name of the pub, will have an image telling a story. Uh, that's right. I, from college, I did 3D design, I graduated in 3D design wanted to get into film didn't happen got a break actually doing my part-time work while I was at college in a pub in Ilford in East London and the opportunity I got was a couple of locals who I knew and come to my final year show 
uh, worked at their brother's sign company. I got they 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 needed some help on a three D sign. I went down there. I got offered a job. I didn't work in a pub ever again. I started working at a pub sign company. We were doing the sort of bread and butter work was Weatherspoons signs, which um, they've got a huge estate. It was massive then. It was it was growing all the time. Are we talking about two thousand four? It was before the no smoking ban came in. So I, I was working on the transition from pubs being smoking pubs to everything turning into more gastro that was that was just a huge amount of work but the brand that I was brought in specifically to work on was a brand called Nicholson's a lot of pubs in the square mile and London centric there is some outside but they was going ultra traditional Victorian and I was brought in to just do some like sculpting on swing signs and design stuff that looked a bit Victorian but a bit more modern but with sensibilities of yeah, Victorian era and good pub signage. So there's whole companies that work on pub signs only or pub signage? What we was, I don't know what the industry's like now. I've not been in the industry for probably like a decade. So I don't think so. I think sign companies probably don't, and with the decline of pubs, there probably isn't that much work. Every year, the amount of pub work gets smaller and the pubs that are open and trying to, re, you know, refurbish or rebrand, you know, it's very, very niche. It was niche when we were doing it, and it's. You know, I hate to think what it looks like now, and it was, it was cool to be involved in that because that brand was just sort of rebranding their entire estate, and we had like one after the other, sometimes two or three on the go at the same time, you know, doing large glass fascias with inverted gold text and. Beautiful swing signs, gold leaf, lots of gold leaf, lots of gilding on buildings, lots of like restoration, making stuff look beautiful on the outside. That was our job, really. We didn't we didn't do much inside other than like a few bar things. I did some bar tap stuff, but mainly making the outside look really pretty and welcoming. As someone did point out, like good funeral parlours as well look the same <laughs> uh, but it definitely worked because they 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 rolled this out they rolled they they, they rolled with it for years i mean i was doing it te- uh, eight to ten years wow. um yeah why do you think there's a demand to make things look victorian i think it's it, it was just harking but like that aesthetic harks back to sort of a, a golden era of signage especially from that era is flamboyant it's over the top um, it's also it's years ahead of its time in terms of graphic design and like how do you put how do you how how can you convey a message or sell someone something like advertising was a thing like hand painted advertising boards you must have seen like bovril like hand painted bovril so that was a that was a big one that I just remember always like seeing echoes of that on old brickwork in the East End and even businesses would would have like you know you can still see some of this a, a lot of it's gone now but there is still little traces of stuff and in in masonry work as well where people they would spend an absolute fortune you know this is 200 years ago i hate to think what it would cost because it, it, you couldn't do it now but even then it wouldn't have been cheap but it's like they were doing it to last so they would spend the money to make things last longer and plastic has a cheap look about it and a lot of signage went plastic and illuminated so all the supermarkets were illuminated with lights backlit look fantastic at night 
you know, they're like beacons, like McDonald's. No one looks, no, no pub wants to look like a McDonald's, like a glowing sign from two miles away. So these pubs went traditional and there was no electrics involved in the actual signs. It was all about reverse gilding, behind glass, self-illumination. So in a blackout, these signs look really beautiful and they don't rely on electricity. That's the Victorian thing because electricity wasn't, you know, so easily accessible when these signs look beautiful. And that art, I guess, was, it's been kept alive for, for, there's there's a few people doing really beautiful, elaborate work um, in glass techniques and stuff. And I guess that brand just saw the importance of going back to it. Yeah, and that was kind of a, a renaissance in itself in just let's make these pubs look like what they are. They're old buildings. These buildings were purpose-built pubs, a lot of them. Yeah, totally. It's such a nice thing, I think, to have that kind of more craft, kind of skilled effort put into the sign because it, it does call to you, you know, if you're walking down the street and it makes you feel all kinds of sensations of like community, coziness, like, like oh, let's get a drink with your friends and, you know, have a, have a natter or whatever. It's, a, I it's was quite a wonderful, like you, warm feeling. I always find it's like picking up a book and you look at the cover and you think yeah. don't judge a book by its cover but the reality is we do and i want to look <laughs> at that cover and i want to open that book and if a, if a pub has you know a pub or a bar has this kind of like beautiful signage outside it feels like oh that's really being considered that's not just an afterthought that's actually a the main thought to get you in there so it's it's appreciated uh, yeah i think good hospitality is definitely judge a book by its cover and the most successful uh, they they've all got that winning formula and it's not coincidence and it's not fluke they're they're investing on their faces and their front. Wow, wow, wow. So you worked in an East London pub. That's how you, you were saying like you did 3D design at college. You worked in East London pub. You started doing East like pub signs. How the process of designing, you know, you were saying about molding it and, and carving it. Is this something that you physically carve out of wood or, or jesbonite or something and then mold it or is it clay? How do you make these 3D designs? Is it computer-based? What is the process of that? I'm split right down the middle with using computer-based and uh, CNC routers, which is computer-controlled cutting machines. And I do that for all my lettering work. And I was, because I was the youngest in the firm when I was taken on, I got tasked with learning a software with no instruction manual that came from America and a machine was American. They were like, you know a bit about computers and you can draw. Can you work out how to cut this? Because they, they basically, the company... I was the rookie and they got sold, upsold a machine by, you know, <laughs> a technology company. I spent a lot of money investing in it. And after about three months, I managed to now how to carve into solid blocks with complete control, depth, chisel text. And from that, you can paint it and apply gold leaf and you've created the Victorian aesthetic, which used to be hand carved. I, I, I've worked out how to do it with a machine i've even sped that process up now because i've continued to do that and moved into doing rap lyrics and swear words and uh, film quotes with my own personal artwork so i still make pub signs they're just miniaturized more expensive and for your home how long does it take to make one pub sign it's relative to the size it really is because um it's all governed by the complexity of the text the cut if i can cut it with what's called a conical cutter which is um a point basically a pointy cutter the text can be cut in under a minute but if it's a a, te- a piece of text that say the the character font is about 
a foot tall, 300 millimeters. That's a totally different process. That's where it's really skillful. Not a lot of people could do it and you have to cut it with something completely different and program it. That can take 35 minutes for a letter and it gets costly. And, and, and obviously pub signs, the fascias of pub signs, they're huge. The letters are huge. <laughs> depending on the uh you know the the, the pub name so the, the little names were really nice and quick and easy to do quite much more profitable like the ship is beautifully um, <laughs> you know you're, you're you're in um you're in money-making territory but when you're doing i did one at liverpool street called the wooden shades that's huge it is insane amount of text and we had to do three different boards with that word stretched out i oh. mean it's i think it spanned 27 meters one of them so that took, what, a few weeks, that one? Yeah, I mean, we had to, you know, it was always that thing of like you're working with a designer and um, an architect and project manager, and they don't appreciate that something 27 metres might take a bit longer than something that's three metres wide. <laughs> they expect it in the same turnaround, but that's what we were good at. We we had a factory of, you know, it's only a small company, probably about 12 people. We could turn it around. It was a, it was it was high pressure. And the other thing is, I used to do sign installation as well. When I first started, I was working in the factory and then doing overtime, working with some of the fixers as a fixer's mate, and actually doing the nitty gritty, drilling into old buildings and putting stuff up. Wow. wow. So, so when you worked in a pub, what was a pub called in Ilford? It was called the Ash Grove. It was on Green Lane near Seven Kings Station. Okay. So you were working there, but while you were working there and doing the pub signs. You also discovered street art. So this is like Ilford's on the cusp of East London. Uh, we're going more into Essex there. I'm, I was born in Romford, so I was only up the road from you. And in 1981, the same year as you, so we're the same okay. age. But I think you're 42 already, so I'm sorry about that. I'm still 41. Anyway, no, that I'm aside. I'm still 41. Oh, are you? Oh, okay. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Death, Ooh. Russ. When's your, uh, when's so your birthday? Mean. October. Yeah, you're going to be 42 before me. Sorry, mate. I'm November. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... You were discovering street art, and that was something that through working in the pub, being around the pubs, you were seeing how all these the tagging was happening and all the art that was being made, uh, the graffiti and everything. That was when you knew that you were going to go down another route. That's right. I mean, I was I, I always appreciated sort of graffiti from a like the balls it took to do it, and like how how on earth did these people get up there? I never knew any writers growing up. I never wrote graffiti and never did any of that stuff but it was around I grew up in Bethnal Green and gradually moved out into Essex East London Essex that kind of way so it was in my life forever more and more and then when I was as I was at college because I was doing like art-based course it was looking at like what is contemporary art of that moment we're talking about 2000 2002 Banksy hadn't blew up but it was ever present I found some of my old coursework and I was like I've got early Shepherd Fairy stuff in there that, and I didn't even know it was Shepherd Fairy. It was just Obey at the time. It was like, what is this Obey stuff? And it was like, it's just interesting because it was edgy and it was kind of like no explanation. And then that, that, that sort of early street art boom where things weren't words anymore, they were graphical images. I, I guess that was what, that was really what piqued my interest because like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't spraying. And I just, I, I was infatuated by that whole scene and I started buying like prints and getting into it. I'd, I'd, foolishly, I never bit the bullet and bought early Banksy work when it was dirt cheap. I remember seeing it for 35 quid. Yeah, prints. at Santa's Ghetto on Charing Cross Road. Yeah, and yeah. just thinking, oh, I'm not, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I like it, but I, I prefer to spend the 35 quid going to Bagley's 
So um, <laughs> doing raving every weekend and then not having a street art collection made a bit more sense. And then obviously you live to regret those things, mm-hmm. those decisions, because, uh, well, yeah, you don't, you don't know it's going to, you're living in the moment, aren't you? So, but it inspired me to sort of try my hand at what, what, what can I do? How do I throw my hat into this exciting arena? Mm. What was it? What Get was the involved. first move? How did you, how did you? I had a couple of ideas and I just thought, well, where was it? The sign company, they had screen printing facilities because we were silkscreen printing pub signs for Weatherspoons. Like they're all silkscreened. So I picked up silkscreen. That was my first experience. I'd never seen silkscreening in the flesh or seen it done or had a go until I worked at a sign company when I was left college. It's just like, it's something I heard about, never saw it. And then I see it. And then because they were, really cool people to work for they were like oh if you want to do something after hours like you can go and make your own screens we've got loads of screens go and do something by you know there's ink there so i I just threw something together quite crudely i did i couldn't use any softwares at the time i was only using this cnc software which is all vector graphic based but it's like cad it's more like cad than illustrator i can't use illustrator still to this day and cad is computer assisted design uh, computer assisted it's like it's yeah, it's like Draftsman's um, software. So um, architects use it for building schematics. So very, very technical drawing-like. So that, I, I learned to draw in this because that was the language that the computer needed to use. So I was drawing in line. Yeah, I just printed those images and got some help from some of the graphic people there. And I did my first print, which was um, a Burkhard Mona Lisa called Honor Islam, which is also an anagram of Mona Lisa. I wanted to do something political because obviously Banksy was like, by that time, we're talking about 2006 when I put that out, he was getting some traction and it was it was sort of like, you know, it's cool to make art, but art needs like some sort of message or a, a conundrum for people. Like it's not, it can be jokey and it can be dumb and it can be a pop culture reference or it can, it can be politically driven. So I was like, oh, I, I just thought it was really powerful as an image to, to put out as my first one and it went, it blew up from the, the, you know, I put my first prints out on eBay and I sold one in 35 minutes and my art career started in 35 minutes. Wow. That then continued, didn't it? Because didn't you do another Mona Lisa with like a um, smiley face, like an acid smile? I, I, yeah, I have done multiple versions and it, it became, it, one of the other reasons of choosing Mona Lisa, it became like that tick box of, you know, Banksy had done a version with a rocket launcher and I remember seeing that in, um, soho when i used to go record shopping and then it was in his book and i was like oh so mona lisa is like one of these tick boxes if you want to be like a street urban artist there's these go-to images that exist in art culture and they transcend art everyone knows these few images mona lisa being one and the marilyn from andy warhol being the other even if you're not into art you're exposed to it so much you know that's art Mm. So it was like, can you do it? I set myself a challenge. Can I do a version that's mine? And it was simple as that. I was like, this thing's not meant to offend anyone. It's meant to ask you a question. And there is no right answer from the question. It's personal interpretation. And where where did the smiley face kind of originate within the work? Because it's such a kind of um, recurring motif. And it makes me think of like kind of (laughs) 90s club culture, kind of very playful, really fun. That, yeah, that I mean, it's totally that. It's pop culture and sort of rave culture, UK centric. Because I was like a sort of a second, third generation raver. I was a, I used to go drum and bass raving, and 
I got into it, but I was a record collector. So I started buying hardcore records and sort of backtracking. And where does this come from? I, I like, you know, I like reading about the origins, the roots of stuff. Then you find out Acid House was like this pivotal moment. It changed laws in this country. It's so important because we've still got laws written where you can't gather with more than 10 people to repetitive beats. It's still written in law. It's just not enforced. It, and that's the criminal justice bill. That blew my mind. I'm like, they outlawed having fun. And it was really that's like, it. it was more to do with facilitating the ecstasy boom. And so the, the, the whole symbol of Acid House, the smiley face is like, for me, that's all I associate with. And I was like, oh, I remember this from my childhood growing up. Like, I, this all makes sense. It's like, you know, like finding a broken puzzle on the floor and you've pieced it back together and you're like, oh my God, I'm seeing more of the image. I get this now. And I love yellow. Yellow's my favorite color. So it's, it was just, it sounds really stupid. And like, <laughs> this yellow face really like spoke to me more than the Simpsons, I guess. And it meant it meant good times. It meant anarchy because mm. it's the, like a symbol of having fun. It means mm. it's also illegal. It's kind of cheeky. It's like a new punk rock. It's it's. I guess it was like the symbol of British counterculture, even though its roots of that symbol itself are different. Having read about that and where that comes from, but for me it was like this is repetitive music. This is repet- re- repetition. My favorite artist, one of my favorite artists, is Andy Warhol. His work is about repetition and repeating images. So I'm like, this all kind of makes sense to me. Just repeat, repeat yourself. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot so, of artists who repeat motifs because for them, it's about working out why they're drawn to that motif. Like yeah. you will keep going back to the smiley face because you're trying to work out in your head, like, why do I keep going back to the smiley face? What is it about this symbol that keeps recurring in my work? It's a really fascinating process that we see so many artists going through. And you mentioned Andy Warhol then, and, and we've talked about the Mona Lisa and, you know, Vermeer appears in your work. At one point, the uh, girl with the pearl earring has a face sucker from Alien over her. There's all these kind of <laughs> pop culture references that, you know, from our generation of, you know, 80, 80s kids, but also through art history that you're bringing. And you talk about the Mona Lisa coming in. This splicing of uh, old art, and contemporary pop culture what is that and what exactly is pop culture for people listening because it's something we all assume we should know what that term means but some people might not realize what pop culture is Uh, for me pop culture is something that you're seeing every day not necessarily taking much notice of but it's in advertising it's in in your like it's in magazines it's in tv adverts it's in radio it's it could be a soundbite it could be a word that marries up to an image and each person's relationship with that can be personal um so like when i when i hear the word smile i think acid house and i think the rave thing again i'm like oh there it is again and i I must have that thought process maybe 20 to 100 times a day because every time i hear a piece of dance music i think of it so i guess pop culture in that sense is what is around us? What is infiltrating our minds on a subconscious level? Mm. And luckily for me, I can manifest some of those feelings and thoughts, cross them over and put them out as something slightly new because they're not new when they come into my mind. Like the Mona Lisa isn't mine and the smiley culture isn't mine. The like rave culture, acid house. But if I put out a version of it with a smiley face, I'm like a calculator doing a bit of maths. You know, when I press equals, there's the result. That, that's kind of new 
It doesn't have to be – nothing's groundbreaking. I'm not trying to – you know, if I sat in my studio thinking I need to make a fresh piece of pop art that's going to break new ice and no one's ever seen before, I wouldn't put anything out because it's impossible. Mm. Very true. Um, so when Stella Artois contacted you about their pub signs uh, initiative, because literally I think in the last year, something like 400 pubs have closed um, and they've been trying to sort of support uh, via different grants and like uh, donations to Hospitality Action, which is an amazing kind of charity, which is even currently helping pubs with their energy bills. Um, what was it like to have that commission from Stella Artois to like reimagine a pub sign? And I know because it's um, Stella Artois Unfiltered, they really wanted it to be have like a nude theme, a bit like kind of Renaissance art or something, like going all the way back, which in a way suits you perfectly because you can take something quite iconic from history and represent it, recontextualize it. It's um, yeah, it was t- it was totally like um, probably the easiest brief I've ever read because I'm <laughs> like uh, I, I I did yeah I did this like professionally kind of for <laughs> for as long as I can remember and I still I still feel like I do it because of some of my work is carrying on that aesthetic and I coined the phrase uh, I call it Poptorian so it's mm. Victorian pop art. And I, I, I sort of thought of that term about 10 years ago. It might sound cheesy to some people, but I just thought that's pretty cool as a, <laughs> how do I describe, how do I describe my work even yeah. to someone who like, what's pop culture? Well, mine's Poptorian and you know, it's Victorian pop art essentially. That's on your Instagram uh, bio, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't, I still haven't made the t-shirts of it yet because I just don't think any, the world's ready for them if they ever will be. But, I guess, yeah, getting the brief um, for this project, um, I was kind of like, you, you just think, well, it's an open goal. I've got, to, I've got to do something and I've got to stick true to what I was doing, which was a f- um, 3D relief, like bass relief, gilded sign. And I wanted to blow them away and I wanted it to look really different from everyone else. I didn't know what anyone else was doing other than their subjects, which were all discussed as a group. But I was just like, I have to do something that, you know, it's like hitting it out of the park. I've got, I've got to do that. I've got to <laughs> flex a little bit. I think. Yeah, well, but you're in your absolute comfort zone doing this. So, how did you come up with the actual pub name that you wanted? Because you've ended up with the Robin Hood. Did you get to choose what you wanted, or did they allocate the pub signs to you? Because you're you're part of a, a group of artists that have all been commissioned to make pub signs that are going to be auctioned. Yeah, there was a long list of pub names that were on it that was curated by. I guess Stella and the project team. To be honest, my first choice wasn't available, but the Robin Hood was interesting because I'm like that. You, you read some of them, and I, I used to get the same emotion. It's like when the job sheet hit the desk and you see the title of the pub. It's either oh this is going to be amazing, or oh it's it's you know it's it's another Duke Welli- Duke of Wellington. Not the owl like, and the pussycat or something. Yeah. That, that see those ones I lap up because. Uh, that's one of the things I love about pub names is like when they're bonkers and crazy, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I remember yeah, the I slug like, and lettuce when that first opened. I was like, the slug and lettuce? And now it's just like commonplace, isn't it? It is. It's, I think that's a, yeah, it's actually a brand, but it's like um, the, the, even the story, like the story of Weatherspoons fascinate me. I think it's hilarious, like the name of Weatherspoons. I don't know if you know this. No, go on. So um, JD Weatherspoons was the teacher that told Tim Martin, who started Weatherspoons, he'd never amount to anything. That's so it's so, a fuck so you. Funny. He, so he named the entire estate after him. 
It's so funny. Yeah. And did uh, the guy I'm, get I'm to see the fact that his name was on the pub and it was this kid that he said <laughs> he, wouldn't he, he, mu- he, must, he must have seen the early ones. What a great revenge. It's, 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 it's a really, like it's a really cool... Yeah. Yeah, really cool story. And um, I guess, um, yeah, the Robin Hood was a very interesting one that jumped off the sheet. So I was like, I can do something with this project. And because it's like we're, we're doing nudity and looking at the Renaissance in two senses, like this is like, how do we revive pubs now in reality? renaissance in art the italian movement of you know rebirth and i was like well it can be a figurative piece because it's robin hood he's Mm -hmm. also like british mythology Mm -hmm. and he has a weapon so it's pretty cool so their their phrase is buy buy nude artwork save pubs so we're seeing robin hood with his weapon (laughs) but also uh, it isn't just the weapon we're seeing we're seeing his personal weapon uh, slightly, aren't we? How how did you decide how to uh, undress Robin Hood, and what exactly is he doing? Um, well, he's uh, yeah, he's not like a full like um, Renaissance statue with um, you know with his like uh, personal tools on show. Mm-hmm. His his modesty is covered by his tool belt. I, I left his tool <laughs> belt on him, and my my little like comment about what I'd done was um, you know no matter what the scenario. Even Robin Hood's got shit in the woods, and or take a bath, or a shower, or whatever in a you know in a lake. But he never takes his tool belt off, and his bow's always to hand. So it's like if he's caught short, and some you know, he just he, he has that sort of vibe of um, he's a survivor, and he's he's this um, do good guy who's a bit of a villain at the same time. So I'm like, even when he's he's never fully nude, it's almost like how Batman would be to wear his utility belt on. Mm. Uh, he, maybe even during sex. <laughs> <I guess he's, laughs> he's, he's never. He, he's like you know. So, you know, like cowboys have got that figure of like they leave their cowboy boots on for everything. Yeah, so I just was like, oh, I'm going to do that with Robin Hood. He's got his utility belt on that, that covers his groin, and um, he's he's pulling his last arrow. His little bag. I don't know what it's called, but his little bag of where like the arrows will be stacked. Type thing. Sp- yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. Didn't know it was called a sporran, but no, uh, no, I mean, it might not be. That's what you wear when you wear a kilt. <laughs> That's the little bag oh, okay. that they have. But I'm sure it's, it's kind of similar this... sort of thing if you're picturing it. Yeah, there, some some archer is going to be like going bloody fools they don't even know what that bag's called yeah (laughs) so that that, that's clearly empty in the piece i wanted that to be like visually obvious and he's pulling his last arrow and i was always like what is he taking aim at is he trying to fire at one of these chain coffee shops to take them out because they're they're (laughs) they're they're replacing all these beautiful pubs or is he trying to fire at someone who's stolen his green outfit or <laughs> it, was that, it was that it was that it was that you know what what, what do you fire your last arrow at yeah so funny. i would love so, to see a chain of these like maid marion and uh, oh, little yeah. john and the sheriff of nottingham all without any clothes on just uh bringing people <laughs> into the pubs and the sign that you've made is actually going to be hanging outside a pub in Wakefield, I believe. And um, there's a whole host of artists, I think about 11 artists in total, who are part of this pub renaissance, including Ruben Dangor, Heath Kane, and some other great people like Alice Ty, uh, Natasha Clutch. And for your pub sign, I know that it reignited your interest in kind of sculptural moulding and... Uh, you know, showing those skills. I think I touched on it earlier, but I only mentioned the machine side of what I do. So mm. I used to make, I, I made the actual sculpt of Robin Hood using a styling clay, which is um, a modeling clay that never 
sets. It never goes hard, doesn't air dry, it doesn't can't be fired, it's got an oil in it, stays pliable. And uh, but you can make a mold from that. And it's used in film and um, model making and uh, car industry. You used to style cars out of this stuff. Um, and I, so I made the subject on that, made a mold, made it in resin, 23 karat gold. It's all made the right way. And that was that was why I got the job initially doing pub signs because I could do the clay work and I knew how to make molds. And that was the bit of knowledge that the, the company was missing. So all the stuff that I learned off them about graphics, kerning, let it, lettering, leading, and, you know, the, the principles of um, getting lettering looking right, what I gave back to them was uh, a bit of my model making because I, ne- I just never got to express myself in film. <clears throat> Well, all of that's going into saving pubs. Uh, As you said, these artworks are being auctioned and Stella will match the funds raised up to 50k. So that'd be amazing if everyone bids on that. It's going to be auctioned at Um, Ah, theauctioncollective.com. And yeah, and all the the profits donated will go to this charity, um, Hospitality Action. Yeah, and search Stella pub signs and they will all come up. But Riker, why is your name Riker? What does that mean? So my name is Ryan Callanan and uh, was like I said before, I was a big fan of like drum and bass and um, UK dance music and a lot of DJ names, MC names come from splicing first and second names together. So Ooh, Riker was Ruto. first my DJ name. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's Ru- Ru- Ruto's pretty cool and um, Ruto's cool. You'd be like you'd be you'd be like Rudy. You'd be Rudy as well or Rody? 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 Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I'd be Rody. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Rody. Oh my gosh, uh, Ruto and Rody. Ruto and Rody, like two cartoon rats that go around solving crimes. Ruto and Rody. That's what Uh, we say at the Hay Festival. (laughs) Yeah, it already sounds more edgy and street, doesn't it? (laughs) It does, mate. Do you do you hang out with a like a street art other artists? We had Nathan Bowen on uh, a year or so ago, and he has. like a collective, and I think you're part of a collective called the Scrawl Collective. Is that correct? And is it like a, yeah. a, a group of artists that move around as a kind of? Uh, it was. It was um, time to change. The guy who um, put the Scrawl Collective together does other things now, but some of those guys are staying in touch with. We were never like a. It was not like a meet up, put our heads together kind of thing. Because essentially, like to just just to be an artist and work as an artist, you're. You're, you've got you've got a dream job. You're, you're in like some sort of crazy minute point naught something of a percent of people who, who actually get to do this. But everyone else you know in the industry or is doing the same job are your rivals. So your friends are your rivals. Keep your enemies um, close. That's what that's what <laughs> yeah. I do with Russ. <laughs> and uh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah, it's just that thing of like, yeah, I've, I've got I've got close artist friends. I've got I've met loads of people in it. Some people you connect with just on a human level. Some people take themselves way too seriously. Mm. A lot of people's egos get out of control. Mm. Like who? Um, Can you tell us? Roti. No, it wouldn't be good, would it? <laughs> it would, um, just, do, you, do you follow you know, like emerging people... street artists as well? Is there like a a, a good support from? I guess you're. Are you one of the elders now? In some ways, not to, not to put you down, I, but yeah. do you look at emerging street artists and and give them advice? Um, yeah, I try to. I mean, I, I I try to help people that I meet along the way who might might need help making a print or 
making a work or realizing an idea or collaborate with them to try and give them a foot up. I've done that many times. I don't really want to name drop, but I've done a lot of it over the years. People, people do know about some of my work behind the scenes. And um, I try not to sort of like blow that trumpet because I'm like trying to push my own work at the same time. And I don't want their like failure or success stories to impact me. I'm just like, it's pretty cool that I've helped people and, some of them have been really successful and some of them haven't. And it's just that being involved in art. Like I make art, I like making stuff every day. Um, I like working on multiple projects because I can't focus on one thing. So the it suits me to have boil, like, you know, stuff always on the boil, always on the go. And yeah, like that energy that comes with new artists is really, is really cool. I don't actively seek that stuff, but the way that Instagram and social media is going, like you get force fed this stuff now where it's really hard. You had to do your own digging before. Now you just get served it. Like there's algorithms like you'll get served music because you listen to Aphex Twin. They think you're going to like X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Really, like most of the time you skip past the computer recommendations. That's true. That's true. So this artwork that's being auctioned is uh, something that people can look at, but also if they want to see more of your work and acquire your work, one that I love is this silk screen and glass uh, and resin. It's a, like a pub sign that says chop fucking chop. That I love. Which is <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, chop chop, chop fucking chop. But you, where would people find your work, Riker? Um My Instagram is the only place that I really sort of nurture and put uh, any sort of effort into now nowadays and that's um riker underscore artist i set myself this thing it might it might change but today i've never spent any money on personal pr so i'm I, I trying to keep it that way and you don't sell on ebay anymore we're not gonna find your print i got, I got, I got taken down so much in those early days because i was doing um keyword spamming to try and sell my work <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so i use like um, there was a thing called the uh, well, it's still going. Banksy Forum, the Urban Art Association. That was really, really big back in the day because there wasn't like, it predates Instagram and like Facebook wasn't really good for groups then. Whereas there's there's so many communities on Facebook now that are great for that stuff if you want to look into like avenues and the, the, all the sub-genres of urban art, contemporary art, street art. How does it all cross over? Like, I, you know, I, I always get called a street artist. I'm not really prolific on the street. I just fall into categories of stuff, and I kind of like I'm not going to fight it. It's just, it's just labeling. It's like if some, if I was a CD and someone put me in heavy metal, but I was actually electronic music. It's like, oh well, someone's going to reshuffle it and put me back in the right place at one point. It's not your job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Oh, so I'm going to get into our final questions now. Then with you, this has been brilliant. If you could do an art heist, and it sounds like you're a bit of a collector, you, obviously you regret clubbing and not buying Banksy's, but uh, where we're sat now, it looks like your studio and you've got lots of figures behind you. It feels like you oh, are... I swear I saw Star Wars there somewhere. Yeah, there's, a, there's like yeah, a, there's a some... Stormtrooper and... <laughs> yeah, there's some... So there's lots of to- a... like toys, like like kind of street art figures and stuff. Do you have like a cause collection and everything? What would you... I do. You do. <laughs> of course you do. Um, if you could have any artwork in the world for yourself what would it be and why oh wow um something like really i think something from the actual like italian masters like maybe um the venus de milo statue or something like that like something just really bonkers that yeah something really iconic that's like that transcends into pop culture 
that people who necessarily don't um, have scholarships in art know like it doesn't it's not exclusive to those people who have studied fine art or or um, have a knowledge on art something mm. that is uh <laughs> it's like a tea towel image and yeah. also like a fridge magnet but it's also like a really seminal important piece of work yeah for like, sure. War, yeah. like warhol then in some ways that's why you connect well the him. venus de milo is pretty iconic i mean that's like 150 bc or something it's at the louvre in paris isn't it yeah i, I, I think something like that would be nuts yeah. nuts to have <laughs> just or only or, just or, russ <laughs> yeah or even like um you know like something from a, an egyptian tomb like wow, mm. yeah just i don't know like like not necessarily something fine art because um everything now if you really want a version of it you can have it um like you know if i want a an andy warhol soup can i could print it out as a t-shirt i can buy a t-shirt i could print my own one i can i can get it it's been merchandised i want something that's like yeah i think yeah maybe something like early human history early before they were, they were making these beautiful golden art objects, the Egyptians, before they sort of it was it was more about worship and transcend into um, or ascend into a, a different realm. And I saw a Tutankhamun exhibition of all the artifacts, all the treasures from that tomb. And I've been to the tomb in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt as well. And um, it's just like it, one of the maddest places I've been. And I just, yeah, I just think that's crazy. Like they had this story and there's this like preciousness to it. And the story about Tutankhamun tomb being like a time capsule. And yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess that even one of the maquettes would do a little, yeah, a little yeah, tiny yeah. Egyptian maquette from the tomb. I kind of get your interest in like making sculpture, but also the film element. You could imagine like going onto a film set and having to recreate all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, that was it. I mean, if it was, it, it, if the question was what film prop, mm. yeah, go on. It'd be so, somewhere from. Would it be Star Wars or the Terminator or or Alien? What would it, it be? It, it would hundred percent be Star Wars. It would be A New Hope. It would be. It would be some. I would be happy with like a finger from an alien in the canteen. Just, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'd, I'd put it in like an acrylic temperature control box, and I'd be like. Yeah, that's um, Elors Maddox's finger. That's actually a character. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, something, something as you know, geeky as that. It's not geeky. I mean, geeky is not even a thing anymore. I don't think. But it's a deep cut. I, I want a deep cut. Yeah, Robert likes uh, to be the other question. Alien, wouldn't you, Rob? Oh my god! The other question we ask. <laughs> I didn't say what I was going to do. I I said I wanted to keep the finger in the (laughs) (laughs) The other question we ask every guest, which I think I know the answer to already, is uh, what is your favourite colour and why? It's yellow, but I don't know why. Didn't come with an explanation. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's, I don't know. It vibrates all around you. Yeah, it's, it's one of those like, I looked into the mood meaning of it. Not that I believe much into all that stuff, but it, it, apparently it gives off good vibes. Um, yeah. So the the you know have a nice day, yellow face. The original smiley is is doing exactly what it's supposed to. But I drive a yellow van. But I, I, <laughs> I, I, I love like AA yellow and JCB yellow. It's like my favorite. Wasn't a yellow van like only fools and horses? Well, yeah, and I love 
the Trotters. Uh, Love that. <laughs> um, so there, there, there's that crossover as well because um, some people – I mean, I used to drive a van with a smiley face that was blended into the bonnet and people <laughs> – so the the best comment I ever got, I used to get people photograph me as I was driving through central London doing deliveries of my own stuff. And then um, this one time I was in a Tesco's like, I think it was in like Epping in Essex. And I just parked up, went to dash into the Tesco's and this guy just stopped me and was like, mate, do you do kids parties? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> just, I was like, I don't, I don't know how you clown. get through. Yeah. I, mean, I was like, I don't, oh know you, I don't even know how he got there. Like, this is just an acid face on the front of a yellow van. And he's like, so what? why have you got a, if you don't do kids parties, why have you got that on the front? I was like, no. You were like, it's art, that's, mate. That's, that's Essex. They make you explain. <laughs> they will make you explain everything if it doesn't make sense to them. And it's your responsibility to make sure they know it's an, it's definitely oh an Essex God. thing. The amount of times other people ask me, like, why are you wearing that? Or what does that mean? Or what does that mean on your T-shirt? Or it's just like, <laughs> I don't have to explain anything to you. Why, why are you asking me? But they talk to you like <laughs> you owe them the information if they don't understand it. Well, they can always listen yeah. to talk art, Russ. You do a lot of explaining there. I do do a lot of explaining. Um, the other question is, if oh, yeah. what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art? I would say it probably goes back to um, the Scroll Collective. The guy who started that was, his name is Rick. Big shout out to Rick, Rick Blackshaw. He's um, he's very well known and respected. He published some of the earliest street art books. They're called, um, well, Scroll. You can find them on eBay and stuff like that. They're out of print now, but they're amazing. There's, there's an early Banksy interview in one of those as well. And... He just, I remember him saying to me, like, he, he championed my work from, like, almost immediately. As soon as he saw it, he was like, I've got to get you involved with this. And, you know, I'd like to put out a print of what other ideas you got. And I, I reeled off a couple of ideas that I hadn't even executed. So I'm just, you know, describing them. And he was like, don't ever overthink what you're doing. Just do what you want to do. And I think that's that was really important advice. And I still sort of stick to that now. So, like, just make stuff I want. It's, it's sort of like a mantra to sort of keep to. I don't always do that. You know, you get um, you get sucked into um, little whirlpools of I've got to pay the bills, uh, what was successful and like how do I regurgitate it? But at the same time, I'm like fundamentally, I'd say 99.9% of the stuff I do is because I wanted to make it for me. That's great. Well, like, like, I've got one more question then because we're talking about Stella Artois and pubs. What is your favourite pub sign ever or your favourite pub name? It's a good one, and it's really tough. Uh, I think I'll, I'll go with one that I've worked on. I'm going to say the Fox and Anchor. Don't, it's no longer there, but it was right next door to Fabric. It was that thing we, we touched on earlier, which was obscure things that go together to make a beautiful pub sign. Well, what business does a Fox and an Anchor have together? What the hell does that mean? And I love those pub names, like when they're just like, what the fuck is that? Someone's come up with this drunk <laughs> in, in the pub, obviously. And in what's, the pub, yeah, yeah. What's your least favourite? Uh, I would say like the common ones, stuff like the White Heart and the Red Lion, because they're I, I, it just yeah common names. I, I, I they're two examples. They're very common. Um, I just think they're dull and. They, you know, it's, it's the power of calling your pub something crazy that people can then remember because everyone uses part of British pub culture and just the culture is before sat navs, people used to navigate via the pubs in that town. And you'd know your geolocation was based on what pub you were near. 
you know, you, you could go to some towns, they've got two white hearts and three king's heads. Or maybe not now, but they did. And so I was like, the more obscure pub names, that's why they, they do it for me. Because they <laughs> they can only be that one spot. You can't meet your mates at 10 o'clock before mobiles at the White Heart and get the wrong one. Mm-hmm. But you can. You could you could back in the day, and that happened. It used to happen. But you said, the one, yeah, not that one. The other, was, one, the other end the other of the high one. street. Oh, my God. I have to get yeah. a Uber. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go for the, the, the common, boring ones. Yeah. Well, this has been anything but common. And, well, it has been quite common, but boring. <laughs> this has been uh, fascinating, Riker. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, for everyone listening, please uh, do do search uh, Stella Pub Signs. Uh, can you remember that website, Rob, to remind everyone? Yeah, you've just got to search Stella Pub Signs, but you can head to theauctioncollective.com to see all the different artworks that have been made inspired by these pub signs. And um, you can buy nude artwork. I mean... What else and do you want? Save in life? Pubs. Buy nude and artwork save pubs. and save pubs. That's we love amazing. this. Yes. Thank you, Stella Artois. Thank you, Stella Artois Unfiltered. Been such a fun project to be involved with. And um, thank you, Riker. You're a legend. Cheers. Thank you. See we'll you be back soon. very soon. Right. Thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.